Matt Ray, there is big news uh, just outside the world of tech, potentially bigger than anything we've ever discussed before. <laughs> oh, whoa. Amazon uh, is, as we know, here in Austin, yeah. Amazon uh, bought Whole Foods, which you know, yeah, everybody yeah. knows about. It's old but news. It's old news, right? But uh, Austin, I believe now, is ground zero for what I'm going to call the grocery store wars. Because as, right. as you know, as a, a longtime Austin uh, listener, not listener, a long time Liver. Austin uh, person who's lived here, you know that the probably the most popular uh, grocery store is HEB. And, uh, you know, people love HEB. But so HEB, uh, in preparing for taking on uh, Amazon and Whole Foods, bought uh, a delivery service called Favor. So uh. my question is, uh, what do you think? Will uh, the a Amazon Whole Foods contingent be able to overthrow the HEB brand loyalty of Austin, Texas grocery buyers? Well, what's interesting there is is Whole Foods is headquartered in Austin. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it's literally like you know Amazon invading Austin, fighting it out, and I don't know where HEB is headquartered out of, probably San Antonio. But um, will they win? Probably not. I think it will be a long protracted fight. And the loser will be Albertsons because that place sucks. <laughs> well, Albertsons is out. Albertsons yeah. is, is like they're not even in this discussion, nor is Randall's. But HEB, as, as I think – I don't know. I'd like to know yeah. where your your wife came down on this or, or really anybody. Because what yeah, I, yeah. I found my wife, uh, who does most of it, is very loyal to HEB, right? In oh, fact, yeah, yeah. so loyal – that HEB, I think, in an effort to compete, is now offering curbside pickup, and they have an app, right, uh, that allows you to do it. But my wife, who loves HEB, has tried to download the app, and she's not someone that downloads and like tries a lot of apps. But she's like, I can't get it to work. I, you know, it just it won't work. And so that was maybe the first opening I saw was like, she really wants to stay with HEB, but she can't get this what? app to work. So maybe there's an <laughs> opening for Amazon. I was about to say, uh, Amazon will probably get that app working and release it, you know, twice a day for the next, you know, three years. Um, eating pizza delivered from Whole Foods, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so we, our family, we did probably eighty percent of our groceries at, uh, well, probably like sixty percent at at HEB, um, and then twenty. 5% at Whole Foods and then Target, right? You know, but never forget about Target because there was that, that rumor going around over the holidays that uh, Amazon was eyeing Target. And that would have been just like destroyed the world uh, as far as like groceries go. Because, you know, Target is, you know, Target's like the nice Walmart, right? Um, and, you know, they picked up their high-end grocery store. They pick up their, uh, their upscale uh, shopping store and, and then, you know, what's left in retail. Um, but, uh, you know, um, over here in, in, uh, Australia, we have a slightly different, uh, market. Uh, we don't have, we don't have, uh, HEB. They haven't penetrated the Australian market yet. <laughs> it's in the five-year uh, plan, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they're like, uh, after we, after we escape the Texas borders, we'll just immediately go 4,000 miles away. Um, yeah, they're, they're kind of like two major grocery stores here, Kohl's and Woolworths, or, you know, as the locals call it, Woolies. And uh, I can't tell the difference for the life of me, and I, we shop at both of them. <laughs> 
So, so I'm not a, a good grocery shopper there, but they also have that German brand Aldi here. And I know there was an Aldi in Austin and that was weird. Um, and apparently Aldi's like the low end grocery store in Europe that and here and here in Australia, I don't shop there enough to really notice the difference, but uh, I still remember in Austin, they were kind of like expensive. Yeah, maybe they're important everything from Germany. Um, <laughs> so, but the, 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 the anyway, the, the interesting thing about Australia is I was, uh, uh, I was at this, this presented at this meetup and the guy before me gave a talk. He was talking about supply chain management stuff and he was a consultant on that kind of stuff. I had just come from a conference where he was talking with dairy farmers, you know, really like, okay, whatever. Um, but Amazon just opened up here in Australia and, you know, he was at this conference and he got up on stage and started, you know, talking about, you know, the relationship that the farmers have with the grocery stores. And he was like, I went and talked to Coles and Woolies recently and neither one of them was aware that 80% of their suppliers have already talked to Amazon <laughs> and like mouths were just dropping. It's like the farmers aren't stupid, right? They know Amazon's coming. So, uh, and, 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 and on the back of that, like the grocery stores here and probably everywhere, um, their stores have been, they, they've shut down a few stores and turned them into black, black stores. I didn't know this was a thing where they have stores that are only for delivery. Um, and so they're kind of centrally located. So sometimes you take a big grocery store and you'll make the warehouse in the back extra large so you can handle deliveries out of them. But here in Australia, they're at least in Sydney. Um, the, the grocery stores they're just they're thick with them I mean they're 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 like one every two miles it's it's crazy um, and so a few of them have been shut down and just turned into delivery only places so it's it's coming um, I'm not I'm not a, I, I'm not a delivery person yet I need to be I guess but it's it's always like produce right the produce sucks uh, through the delivery um, but HB always had better produce. Right. And I think that's the whole uh, push with HEB. I mean, there is a nice kind of differentiation there about curbside, right? Which I think, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of best of both worlds, right? You can, you know, hit on your way home and pick it up, but get the produce from, you know, in this case, what people believe is the better, at least now, I guess Whole Foods is a new thing into it. but uh, Yeah, Whole Foods had even better produce. I mean, Whole Foods was like the pinnacle of produce, but I don't know if Amazon will keep that up, right? Right. Well, the other thing that Amazon did this week was they offered uh, – because I think you know, like you, many people kind of looked at Whole Foods as like a premium, so you didn't shop there every day. But Amazon says they're going to extend 5% back on, uh, your, on the Amazon Prime credit card. If you buy Ooh. stuff on Whole Foods, so that's sort of getting into the Costco, um, you know, kind of low cost retailer kind of model. Like shop here for everything, we'll give you five percent back. We're going to lower uh, prices, and we're going to um, actually deliver it to your home. So it's I should do that. It's interesting to see <laughs> if um, you know, because I think that's the big push, right? Is to see, and then of course H E B. Who we don't think of as a technology company at all. At least I don't. Um, you know, them buying favor does seem like their attempt to like build out a delivery force that would be, you know, at least not comparable, but competitive against, yeah. you know, what I, I assume would be Instacart and in, in the onslaught of the Amazon. Delivery well, yeah, and Instacart, like when Amazon bought Whole Foods, I, I think Instacart, you know, their, their stock took a tumble, but they've apparently locked up like four of the six largest um, 
you know, grocery delivery or grocery providers in the U S. So, you know, they're, they're cementing themselves as like, you know, you don't have to think about this. Let us do it for you. Um, which is actually kind of, you know, the Amazon market model. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I, I there's probably going to be a, a continued shakeout in, in the grocery delivery stuff and Amazon will probably end up getting all of our money, but, um, I don't think it's over. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, not yet. Yeah. Right. Well, the the stat I saw, you know, and then we'll move on, is uh, I think uh, Amazon today has four uh, percent of all retail sales, and it was forty six percent of uh, online sales. Which I think I think that was just U.S. or just maybe North America, right? Because I know yeah. they haven't made their way uh, to your your part of the world yet, but, but <laughs> yeah. they're coming. It's eBay here. That's so funny. We're it's just... like you're living in the past. Like you're living in ten oh. years in the past. But 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 it, I, I I never shopped eBay for like marketplace stuff and and ebay takes up like the amazon market niche here um where you know you're like oh i want to get you know some book and amazon.com.au doesn't sell books so i go to ebay and there are like five different retailers who have their book listed there it's weird weird it's it's the past it's the past oh, but yeah the, but the future also it's it's weird it's, it's i don't know how to like, you know get my head around that yeah yeah it's it's fun. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll keep everyone posted. I'll keep you posted, especially Matt, since I know you're you're far away on on how HEB does. I will say this: you know, it's a strong uh, fan base, loyal buyers. So we'll see. We'll see if they can do it. Uh, but yep. but last week, a um, couple things I wanted to uh, talk about before we get on to the main show. One, we should all wish Cote good luck at sales kickoff. Uh, I think you heard him last week. I think. I don't know if he's apprehensive, but I think he was, you know, uh, thinking about it, shall we say. So he's out there. Uh, the last update we got is he's doing great. So I saw yep. some pictures on Twitter and, <laughs> and uh, some Slack. So I'm, I'm sure it's going fantastic. And yep. I'm sure he will regale us with uh, good stories about it next week. The other mm. thing, if you uh, need some more time uh, to waste and you have some time that you want to listen to another podcast by us, go listen to Software Defined Interviews. This week yep. I interviewed – uh, your coworker and mm-hmm. our good friend, no SSH JJ about life at chef, uh, how DevOps saved Christmas, what it's like to interview with Matt Ray. Evidently not that Ooh. hard for JJ. Uh, <laughs> little spoiler alert. Uh, uh, I, I think it was a fantastic episode because, you know, I did it of course. And I thought JJ told us lots of good stuff. So go subscribe enjoy. software defined interviews. And, uh, and for those of you who don't have one, if you want a free Software Defined Talk sticker, just email stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Give me your name and address, and I will give you a sticker. And we can, luckily, we like Amazon, or not like Amazon, we are worldwide. So anywhere that you uh, want me to send a sticker, I have the capability to do it. So don't yeah, worry. T- take that, Amazon. Yeah, take yep. that. And, and then a quick bit of housekeeping. I've yep. listened to the JJ uh, interview. We talked a lot about two-factor authentication, security, and other stuff. So I did want to give a shout-out to uh, Graham Jensen. He's uh, over at Coinbase, I believe, and he is doing uh, all kinds of good things about security. So he says you should use Google Authenticator, and he's saying he was telling me that SMS isn't always secure. And I, we touched on that, and I get it. I agree that I get it. it um, that you shouldn't do it, but uh, I would use SMS because I think normal people can do it. But if not, well, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, SMS is, is just the, the uh, you have to be a high profile target to be vulnerable to SMS spoofing. 
today. You know, I mean, it, there's so so many like easier targets out there than you know anybody doing two-factor authentication. Maybe once that becomes mainstream, they'll they'll weaponize it. But come on, people. Uh, and, and Google Authenticator, I I use it, but it is annoying. Really? Um, but if things are annoying you, uh, especially in your monitoring world, uh, you should take a look at our sponsor today, because this episode is brought to you by Datadog. Uh, they're a monitoring platform for cloud scale infrastructure and applications built by engineers for engineers. Datadog provides visibility into more than 200 technologies, including AWS, Chef, and Docker, uh, with built-in metric dashboards and automated alerts. With end-to-end request tracing, Datadog provides visibility into your applications and their underlying infrastructure all in one place. Sign up today for a free trial at datadog.com slash software-defined-talk. I'll one word, no spaces, and uh, get yourself a nice T-shirt. Someday, mine will be here. That's right. We're getting. <laughs> I, have, I have your T-shirt. Don't worry, Matt Ray. When you come back, you'll get it. And one of the things that we want to mention about Datadog this week was, uh, you know, they have the ability to forecast alerts. So a lot of times, you get alerted when things go wrong. But did you know, Matt, with Datadog, you can actually do a little prediction, a little prediction of like maybe you're running low on disk space, maybe you're running low on memory. So they can actually tell you ahead of time that something bad is going to happen. So uh, go check out Forecast Alerts. They have a nice write-up on how to do it. You can even forecast your own custom metrics, which is you've been listening to the show. We, You should know by now the best way to monitor is to write your own metrics. And if you do that in Datadog, you can use their forecasting ability. So go yep. check them out. We like them. Yeah. So another way to get to uh, you know forecast uh, impending doom is <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> through compliance automation, right? Uh, so, you know, tooting our own horner, if you will. Um, we released Inspect, uh, we being um, the Royal We, uh, Chef in, released Inspect 2.0 this week. Um, a lot of uh, news articles about it, uh, you know, relatively a lot for uh, a 2.0 release of open source software. But um, if for those of you unfamiliar with Inspect, it's... Uh, it's a, a pro, an open source project from Chef uh, based around the idea of compliance automation. Uh, the idea that everything you care about on a box uh, from an auditor's standpoint, uh, that can be automated um, with uh, what we call compliance as code. So uh, you should check that out. Uh, what's interesting about the new release is we've added support for AWS and Azure. Uh, those are now core features. Um, and so I think there's some some blog articles and tutorials around uh, that kind of usage. Uh, look for those leaky S3 buckets and that kind of stuff. Right. And I think, you know, why don't you give us an example, Matt? Like JJ and I talked a little bit about compliance, but I think it's a, a subject, I don't want to say misunderstood. Maybe it's a subject that is not always uh, loved to talk about. But, you know, <laughs> I think the approach that that, you know, compliance is code, right? Like to kind of get into an example is like you guys are actually – it's not just like saying that you're actually codifying some rules that then can run, as I understand it, run on an ongoing basis and then just tell you like, you know, this is wrong. And then of course there are ways to quickly remediate that. So why don't you give us an example of like a real rule that not only will help you with compliance, but will save some of these listeners some time in their day-to-day life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, so, you know, security is, is, you know, sexy and exciting and compliance is like, you should brush your teeth and, you know, take a shower every day and, and, you know, do the basics of getting through uh, 
through well it's just the basics of housekeeping so you know compliance is is you know making sure your doors are locked it's not you know how do i pick that lock and so it's it's not as exciting you know despite uh the, the nice words um but but it's the sort of thing that businesses care about because they have you know they're holding money and healthcare and and you know whatever it is that they have and so they have auditors who come in and they check the state of your machines and infrastructure and they say well you know these pro you know these services can't be running this user has to have permissions you know that that sort of kind of just basics but um what what inspect does is it turns it into a very high level domain specific language uh that's based off the spec style of testing which um if you if you've used like r spec chef spec you know there's lots of spec styles and it's meant to be human readable so you say things like i expect uh telnet not to be installed and not to be running um or i expect uh port uh, 8080 to be closed and 443 to be open. Um, and when I make this HTTP request to get a 200 back from this uh, server. Uh, so it, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's very practical for, you know, when you're going to deploy a new piece of software, you know, you've got some installation requirements. You can just say like, look, when this thing's done, this user will exist, permissions will be here, this will be running. Just make sure that works and and then you start to level that up and you're like well the auditors want to make sure that um you know these kernel parameters have been set and these windows hot fixes are all installed and you know and then you keep moving up the stack uh through the the audits you can you can also talk to the data layer so you can log into your databases and you know talk you know to oracle and make sure the the demo or the default uh schema hasn't been installed or, you know, you didn't ship with the, the default user uh, enabled. Um, and then, you know, keep leveling up that that focus of what you're checking for compliance. We, we talk to AWS and Azure and you say, well, look, we're all in on AWS. We have the CICD pipeline that's building AMIs. And I know the list of, you know, current AMIs that we support. I want to ensure that none of the EC2 instances we have running are running old versions of that AMI. And so we can write that as a policy. You know, we can actually say, um, you know, EC, uh, AMI, you know, EC2 AMI version is, you know, off of this list of uh, whitelisted AMIs. And so we tie that into, into you know, reporting um, and, and, you know, UIs. So you can just see like the state of your compliance over time. And, you know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of security and compliance standards out there. Um, the most uh, popular is the uh, CIS benchmarks from the Center for Internet Security. It's like a government, or not government, uh, a nonprofit uh, industry consortium that puts out standards around how to harden and secure various operating systems. And uh, and now they've actually moved into like AWS and Kubernetes and stuff. Um, and so you can just say like, I've got the sys benchmark for Windows 2012 R2 and how compliant are we? And so a lot of times when you dig into the uh, uh, the audits that are the the hardening guides that that uh, software companies have or, you know, anybody has, it usually just says like based off the sys benchmark. So. So it's good. So and all the rules, <laughs> uh, as I say, are all the, the rules? What are they called? They're not called rules. They're so called, so um... so they're they're 
their resources are the things you care about, uh -huh. right? You know, pa package and EC2 and S3 buckets and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you write controls, which are the individual checks. And then you package those in profiles. And so uh -huh. a profile like the, you know, RELS level one server profile uh, from Sys has like 188 uh, controls. Okay. No, but like, are they open? Like, I'm trying to figure out which part is open source so I can just go look at. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, so InSpec itself is the engine. It's all completely open source, Apache licensed. You know, make a make up your own product based on it or uh, whatever you want to do. Um, and then the profiles, um, Chef Automate, which is our commercial product, uh, it ships with the Sys benchmarks. They are not technically open source. They're like an open standard or something. You can get PDFs, uh, but we actually generate the code off of their uh, SCAP files, which is another uh, compliance format for, for Windows. Um, but uh, those aren't aren't open. The, the underlying code is not open source, so we can't, so we don't open source those. Got it. No, that um, makes sense. So that's where the, I'm just going to like jump in here. Guys, that's what the, <laughs> that's what is going to save you all the time. Like you know, you can. This would be like the equivalent of like, uh, what is it like, uh, building your own computer or just getting something that works. Because <laughs> it's fine. Like for those that want to like write their own rules, and maybe if you have like if you do have lots of custom rules that have never been written before, fine. I mean, it's great. In fact, I would say write them and then contribute it somewhere that people can use them. But if if you if you just want to save your sanity. Don't don't do that. Just 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 go. Well, yeah. I mean, because it is and, writing the rules and getting this stuff. I mean, I endless amount of time to to get that right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the nice thing is, um, the it's compliance as code. So you know the the profiles are versioned, and so you can depend off another profile. So you know, I mentioned you got these these companies that have a hardening guide for RHEL and it just says, you know, based off the Sys benchmark and here are, you know, company XYZs. These are the things that we change. Like, you know, we disagree with this rule and we add these five things. So you can just extend one of the existing ones and have, you know, just maintain your little diff of of that as the Sys benchmark evolves over time because they they release them quarterly. Um and then, you know, there, there's no like standard for how you, how your company consumes AWS or, or Azure. So you could write those, you know, those profiles uh, in addition, you know, so you just kind of, you have these different layers of, of audits that are always just checking and, you know, the inspect works remotely. So you can connect the machines via SSH or, or WinRM. You don't have to have an agent installed on those boxes. Uh, but if you don't allow remote access, um, if you don't allow remote access, like the the chef client can can be your your audit uh, agent and just run uh, what we call the audit cookbook that just downloads the that, that just configures how Inspect runs and pushes that you know back up. But uh, yeah, there are there are a lot of open source compliance profiles though. Um, Supermarket, which is Chef's community site, has uh, a couple dozen. Um, you know, because you know people are contributing to them. When new CVEs come out, sometimes people write a compliance profile. Uh, there was uh, one of our Australian partners wrote one for uh, uh, Meltdown Inspector, and uh, that you know that that's a recent compliance profile. It just checks, you know, are you know are these settings 
exposed on on slash proc or you know do you have the right windows hot fixes and applied to, to patch it you know it, it doesn't remediate anything it just tells you you know it's it's not monitoring but it's a nice way to check if you have uh, if you're up to date on your patches right most and that's what's crazy is like so many of these big enterprises they're still worrying about patching you know where yeah. we're talking about like how many kubernetes deploys a day you can do and these guys are like yeah our windows 2008 r2 <laughs> stuff's uh, Yo, uh, Microsoft stopped supporting that and we're in trouble now. Yeah. Well, that's the whole, like, you know, the world we talk about every day. Like, you know, everybody's, most companies, older companies or you know, companies been around, got two, you know, one foot in each world, right? Building something new, but there's a lot of stuff they have to take care of. So really, so what you're saying, there's no excuse. Everyone should be compliant. <laughs> and more importantly, uh, I guess, you know, every, I think a lot of people are being inundated, you know, I know my day job, like we're talking about GDPR and, you know, are we ready and what are we doing? And so it's probably, you know, if you haven't thought about it as much as you in the past as you should, this would probably be a good time to get on the compliance bandwagon. Well, and definitely, <laughs> uh, was it April is when the fines start kicking in on GDPR. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, compliance is like, everyone has a compliance problem and the nice thing from from our, our point of view is you know configuration management is one of those things that everyone knows like oh we should we should be automating this stuff it'll we'll move faster but you get into a lot of these shops and they're like hey we've got we made it to 800 machines without any sort of automation why do we need you know why do we need config management you know and they just want to like you know oh chef versus puppet versus ansible and you're like uh who cares right what's your state of compliance? And they're like, well, we're paying a million dollars a month in fines. And <laughs> this is not a joke. <laughs> no, I, 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 I know. I, I know it's not a joke. It's just when you say it out loud, you're like, whoa, it's not money. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and they're paying their auditors, you know, quarter million every, every, you know, six months. And it's just like, look, look, you put this software in, and all it does is give you some dashboards that shows you those machines over there, they're not patched. Those machines over there, they're running a bunch of stuff that, you know, is, is out of date. And, you know, it's it's really easy to just set a baseline for what you need to start fixing and automating. And so it kind of pivots that that configuration management story to like, you know, bringing in config management if you don't already have something it's hard to tell where to start you just look at this you know vast array of of, of land, you know this vast landscape of stuff that's already deployed and you're like i don't know you know well pick this little project over there and with compliance like look this is your roadmap turn this dashboard from red to green right all you have to do is like cook you know chef cookbook for patching or you know or even ansible and puppet like uh nathan harvey gave a talk at config management camp about ansible and inspect right because you know, Ansible and Puppet users need compliance too. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs it. Everyone needs it. Everyone needs it. Well, like I said, no excuses. This is good. I mean, I, I, and I, I, you know, I remember Mark Andreessen has what the software is eating the world. I, I think of um, sometimes in the world of enterprise software, it's like, um, it's like software automation is eating from the inside out. Like first it starts with like, just like building software. Then it becomes easier to like build the tools and we get into like DevOps and then it's like, okay. And then it's like, oh man, this security stuff is taking a lot of time. So now automation and making that process is easier. So it's just, I mean, it's sort of like this nice evolution of like, man, this just, and 
I do think, you know, at the, at the root of all of this is like one guy like started with like an Excel spreadsheet and everyone was like, oh, that's crazy. And then it just like keeps moving up and we keep getting better at automating different parts of like the entire enterprise life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if DevSecOps, I don't, I don't particularly like the term, uh, but that's, that's essentially what it is, right? We're bringing security into the mix and instead of making you know, those folks, the, the bad guys or the gatekeepers or whatever, you know, that's, it's now part of the story. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what, what inspects about, All you right. know, and there's, there's not a ton of stuff like it. Um, and you know, being Apache licensed, like anybody can use it. So. All right, people go get it. Go make Matt no Rave. excuses. That's right. No excuses. <laughs> Call Matt Ray. If you have questions, that's, that's, that's the most important. <laughs> All yeah, right. Well, Matt, one. one of the things I wanted <laughs> us to talk about too is, is, you know, we have all this DevOps stuff happening, and one yep. of the reasons it's become so popular is the emergence of microservices, which we've talked mm. about a lot. But there's a very good article this week uh, in our friends from the New Stack, and they kind of yep. went over the history of the service mesh. And I thought, like, you know, this is something we won't really talk about in detail, but, you know, like, why do we have all of these microservices, and why, how did we get here is sort of what I think the article. Uh, took us through. So why, I don't know. Why don't you you posted it? So why don't you walk us through kind of like <laughs> part, part of the history, and you know we can kind of walk through like why we have all these microservices and why we think it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that's how it worked. If you post something <laughs> to the backlog, that's you're now right. the. Well, they start uh, with you know, you know. I think you know the way to set it up right is is everyone talks about the monolith, and you know, right. and if we go back far enough in history, like I think of like the true monolith being. You know, in my, I guess when I sort of got started, I was like, you just wrote like some Windows program and you just, like, you can almost go back to like Fortran. You just like piled a bunch of toe together. You made it an oh, executable. And it yeah. was just like, it was just this blob. Like, you just ran it. And then if other yep. people wanted to run it, you like send it to them, right? And then, of course, we got into the world of client server. We can kind of skip over that. And then we got into, the, you know, kind of the three tier architecture, right? And this is where I think, you know, it, I would say web 2.0 apps, right? We had the, your front end, your middle tier, and your database layer, right? And that seemed to work for, I don't know, a few years. Let's say five years. It had a good, the LAMP <laughs> stack had a run there, right? And everyone was like... Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's still going. It's but... still going, yeah. So, but, I, but I think what, what people... This is where I think... And I think that, that solution probably works well for many applications today, right? But yeah. as I like to think of what they were... And when I think people say monolith today... What they mean is that middle tier, right? So the idea was at one point, right, the front end for, through your proxy you would just call your middle tier, and that was really just one big blob of code, right? I mean, not necessarily yeah. decoupled and, and lot of, not a lot of networking, right? You just ran some logic, and then you called out to the database. But that middle tier, I think, is – and this is kind of where I was going – is, is really where people started to see where the problems uh, started to arise, well, yeah, and, and and once you it it was that that you know the the web model and the lamp stack, which is when you know instead of having one big blob on the other side, you're like, look, there's Apache or you know Nginx or what have you, and it starts to split up that traffic among multiple big blobs, right? And then you're like, hey, you know, each one of these is their own service, and instead of having like you know one web app. Uh, we'll break it into little pieces, right? And that, that's that's where, you know, the microservices kind of came out of is, you know, it, it didn't come out of like, oh, you know, this Windows app now has, you know, 15 EXEs. It was, you know, this web page, this website's too big to have one 
thing. And so we start breaking it apart and everybody cares about their little part of the website, um, you know, or the web experience or whatever you call it. And, uh, you know, that's, that, that's the whole, uh, birth of, of microservices, at least to my uninformed, uh, brain. Yeah. And, and, I, think, and I think this is like Netflix seemed to, I don't know if they want to say it pioneered, but popularized it right. That feel like that's where all the presentations they gave, I don't know, six, seven years ago. It's what sort of and some of the tools they contributed started started to make this like the preferred. Way yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they obviously weren't the only ones, but uh, you know, your your Netflixes and Twitters and and you know, uh, Flickers and and whatnots. They had you know lots of different apps behind the URL, um, and then over time, you know, you start you start to put like load balancers in front of that and. You know, and then you're like, hey, this microservice has to talk to that microservice, and you know, we need a more efficient means than uh, HTTP. So, the, you know, the the article starts to get into how uh, they started using libraries to standardize um, how um, how traffic got sorted between the different services, and so you know, Google, uh, Netflix, Twitter, they all had different libraries. Uh, for you know, a, a standard way for how you could do the the sorts of network shaping um, or you know traffic shaping uh, that um, microservices need, right? Because you never know, like, oh, do we have you know 15 of these consumers or do we have a thousand of them? Or you know, the traffic is is spiky, and so you know machines are coming and going, and um, and so the, those those fat libraries uh you know they handled the, the load balancing and you know circuit breaking tel telemetry that kind of stuff just so you could see what was happening with your app you know giving visibility into the traffic but that model even was kind of inefficient right you had to have you know it's like well you can write your app in java or you know python or you know you had to have a version of that library for every single language and you know Developers don't like being tied down to one language. Right. Well, I think this is where the article kind of, you know, does a good job kind of almost like telling you where we are. It's like, I, you know, the reason that we end up so much talking so much about containers and Kubernetes and all that is that it is a very nice platform to deploy your microservices, right? But the next thing, the next problem, which you're kind of getting at, is that once you start getting a lot of calls, a lot of network calls in between all these things, it becomes a total nightmare, right? And this is where yeah, everyone yeah. had to write custom code to almost like, if you will, recreate, I don't want to say networking management, but you know, essentially figure out a good <laughs> yeah. way to utilize the network inside your this what was once your big monolith. Now it's all these weird connections and you don't have a good understanding necessarily of who's calling what and you want something to kind of manage that. And that, that seems to be like where we are today, that yeah. there are several projects and this is why, you know, the mesh, right? This is the mesh mo model. And I think, you know, Istio and there's probably, you know, you're going to know, you're going to name some other programs that are starting to try to like solve this networking problem. So not everyone has to write this big fat club, uh, uh, client libraries to make it all work. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's Istio, Linkerd, and, and Conduit are kind of the, the big ones right now. But they, uh, instead of having your applications compile against a library that, you know, instruments them for this networking, um, it's just a, a proxy that, you know, manages any sort of application 
and gives you all the you know security groups and you know which which microservices can talk to other microservices what you know the network topology looks like to them and you know so that's that's important um but it you know it just further abstracts you away from all of the the messiness of that underlying hardware uh, which you know it Networking is still a mess. <laughs> well, I was thinking as I, I was reading the article, I was you know going back you know many you know a, a while ago, and I I don't know if you have how much experience do you have. But like, did you ever any like Corba? Did you play with? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like, did we work on? I can't remember of what we worked on together at different times, but at one point, I, I don't know if Corba. Like I don't know if I want to say precursor to microservices or there was this idea though, and there were several other Java frameworks too, like. You could call and you know it would be somewhat standardized and there was like what mm-hmm. I, IOP or II some kind of protocol in between that would let you call between languages. But you know anytime <laughs> I just remember anytime you actually went to use it, like you had so much extra like client Corba like library that was like just in like XML. Like it was just like this just spaghetti you know nightmare integration code it was always like this this isn't gonna work yeah and it feels like that just i don't know i don't even know what happened to it like i feel like well Well, we all gave up on it i think i think i i think this was in the show notes maybe two or three uh episodes back java just removed the corpus support okay so 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 yeah we we, yeah yeah i mean kote and i definitely did corba at uh uh um not not funds express uh that startup we had coral um yeah we 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 did corba and it was painful um but you know a lot of the lessons from java about you know write once run anywhere you know we're still still on that path and that's that's container containerization gives us a better uh you know, a workable approach that is multi-language. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be any language. Um, we don't have to care about the network, you know, the, about the hardware, you know, that's Kubernetes problem. We don't have to care about the network. That's uh, uh Linkerd or, or conduits problem. Um, and so that's, that's what this is about or Istio's problem um, is just, you know, app developers, they write the applications and, tools like you know service meshes and and container orchestrators deal with all the other stuff you know and that's that's where we are today i i don't know what the and and i guess the roadmap is like oh i guess we got to monitor this stuff <laughs> yeah we do and before we talk about monitoring this we'll get a little plugger so uh, our own michael cote i believe is going to interview one of the istio developers uh, in the, one of the upcoming, maybe probably the next episode of Software Defined Interviews. So um, not that we aren't experts, Matt Ray, but if you <clears throat> probably want to know more, look for that episode and I uh, hope they'll talk a lot about Istio. And they'll probably end up talking a lot about just how do you figure out all this networking between microservices and like what are you supposed to do? Because I, I still, you know, my, uh, as I said, I think on a, another podcast or another episode was like, I still feel like all of this, could be packaged better. Like I still think the idea that <laughs> that you have the Docker containers, Kubernetes, then your whatever your uh, Istio, Linkerd, whatever you know your networking thing. I just I, in my mind, I always go back to uh, our friends at Mesosphere. Like I don't know how they're doing. I don't know how their business is doing, but they had uh, what DCOS, right? Data center operating system. I was like, I just like this metaphor of like, yeah, we should have this. It should be put together, and then we shouldn't have like 
8,000 different projects. Like it's going <laughs> to, and in my mind, it's still eventually going to come together as very logical components that we all understand. Um, and we don't have to just keep layering more projects in there. So that's just my own personal desire. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I want it to happen. I, I think, I think the key is to just name your projects something ubiquitous like i'm going to name my next project monitoring <laughs> and you're like what do we use for monitoring yes <laughs> and and, and that way that way you win because uh, everyone needs monitoring and uh yeah uh yeah i mean there's uh you know i think we're in the show notes uh link to uh an article about the red method about you know how monitoring continues to evolve with microservices and uh uh, I have so another article. What is your yeah. take on the red? Because I think the red method stands for uh, rate, errors, and duration. So I think the net net of this was, and I think it is very microservice based. Is like, hey, instead of using the use base, the use method, which is mm -hmm. utilization, saturation, <laughs> and errors, which is I think. You know, very similar. It kind of comes out of like a host metrics kind of feel to it. I guess that's kind of how I think of it. And then the red one, red again, rate, errors, and duration does seem very microservice uh, friendly, right? Yeah. This is like all, no matter what service you have, it's kind of like taking blood pressure. You're going to need to know these three things for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the use method is more about like, the actual nuts and bolts about what CPUs are doing, I guess, you know, what, what the actual hardware is doing. And the, the red method is more the approach of what, who cares about the machines? Well, what matters is what the applications are moving across the wire. Right. And so you just keep leveling up that view where you know, eventually you get to the point like, you know, the actual, actually the only thing I care about is how responsive my web app is. And, and, you know, as long as it's, working <laughs> uh but yeah that's that's yeah we the, the monitoring continues to move higher and higher up the stack people don't care about uh how swappy your your uh cpus are or what, you know how much net, uh, virtual memory you're using that doesn't matter right you're not monitoring for that but uh, yeah it's, it's a nice uh, approach nice article um well i new think just... it reminds me a lot of you know because you know again everything there are no new ideas. They just get repurposed. The idea that I've, um, you know, and I know this is a big, still a big deal, like, you know, measuring end user response time, right? So, like, you know, and there was a day, uh, you know, that you and I were very interested in, like, okay, does the web page load? How fast does it load, right? You know, what are the problems? And, you know, sort of that's from an end user perspective. And really, the, I think of this as the same thing. Like, as an end user, you're not, you know, necessarily using a microservice, like, in a, in a web browser, but what are you doing, right? It's the same thing. It's just like, hey, yeah. how quickly do you respond? Do you give me any errors? And do, you know, do I have what I need to do my job from you? And so I think, you know, everything always walks back to that approach. Like, let's just monitor it. And then, because I do think a lot of times what then happens is when you get the error, you need to have then instrumented the application, which is usually either log files or if you if if you are so smart and you you know visit our friends at Datadog again go get sign up for the free trial <laughs> datadog.com/software-defined-talk you know you can get all this information to go do your diagnostics but you just need something simple right to know if like stuff is really going wrong otherwise you spend all your time inundated with a bunch of, a bunch of crazy alerts that are just a waste of time yeah yeah i mean and, and so you know monitoring that's the you know monitoring to observability is you know how you're instrumenting your applications and infrastructure. So, you know, you don't know what you're looking for, but you need to be able to find it quickly 
it it's it's holding on to the uh uh what is it you know the known unknowns or or what have you um you know being being able to just you know see all that together so that's um yeah, another good article from the new stack. Yeah, yeah. No, new stack did. I think it was a strong week for them. I feel like they didn't. Uh, maybe like them, they they didn't see like tons of news. So they did some nice kind of like overview, a little history, a little like yeah. data monitoring. I, I think it's. I mean, both those articles. We like them in general, but like this week was especially strong. Good stuff yeah. to read from them. Yeah, I mean, if if you like uh, deep dives on the history of things, uh, there was a an article called uh, "The Road to 400 Gigabit Ethernet." <laughs> which is, you know, maybe not for everyone, but when, you know, when we're talking about like the service meshes and stuff, it's like, you know what, underneath the covers, there's a bunch of data centers and networking gear. And I didn't know 400 gigabit ethernet was a thing, but uh, it's, it's a, if you want to nerd out, uh, go read that. You know, it's in the show notes. Uh, we don't need Cause it. that seems to uh, start to get to the, you know, edge up to the fiber optic world, right? Like you're actually getting <laughs> yeah. to the point of like, oh wow, I could just run my whole telecom network over Ethernet, which would be yeah, awesome. yeah. I, I don't think this is going to be your home router. Um, what? What? <laughs> I know I'm still poking along at. Uh, well, I'm I'm still running a bunch of Apple gear from like three, four years ago, so um, you know it works, but. Uh, your, your core routers, you know, this is for your, your big service providers, yeah. uh, you know, cloud, cloud guys. Well, forget about but, them because I will say just on, in my own, uh, you know, running my own enterprise here in Austin, Texas, I just upgraded to the, uh, I should say upgraded, meaning I bought a couple of the, I guess it's the, the last version of the Apple, uh, that's the tower one of the airport extremes. So uh-huh. they all have, you know, the AC. So I've got a couple around the house and uh, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm super, I highly recommend it. It's a great way to easily set up and you know, kind of all one network. And I think we're getting like a hundred megs down most everywhere in the house yeah. over. Uh, and I was, you know, so I was walking around explaining to my wife and son how great it was and, you know, no one really cares, but it's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's awesome. They're like, can we watch Netflix? Yeah. About, yeah. That's it. Can- you know, that's really the measurement of networking is can your loved ones watch Netflix without any issues? So, that's, that's simultaneously. All, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You need yeah. to have like however many family members you have. Can everybody have a device and watch a Netflix show simultaneously and not see any lag? If that's mm. the maximum, that's your, your uh, load testing use case for anyone's home. Oh dear. So, so I've been trying to watch some of the, uh, the winter Olympics stuff off the NBC <laughs> Olympics app. I, I don't think they have like CDNs for Australia or something. It's painful. <laughs> what? Oh, I can't believe oh, it. They haven't invested yeah. in that. I know. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it's painful. Um, you know, but it's, it's not, the, it's not the networking gear in my house, but, uh, who did they yeah, not Australia- show? Are they not showing the, it in Australia or is it just Australia? Uh, I coverage. Like what's going on? <sighs> I need to go get myself an antenna. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, here I am uh, almost two years into living in Australia and I'm still just streaming Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. Wow. Um, well, yeah. You, I mean, they're only like $20. You should go. I mean, that's an easy one. You know, what are you, done. my kids? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I need to go buy a, an antenna, but uh, yeah, the, and, and my, my internet here is like 20 down one up. And I did the uh, the benchmark, the speed test, uh-huh. and it's like better than ninety eight percent of Australia. Wow! 
I thought, you know, it's so funny <laughs> living in the U.S. I feel like all we read is these articles about how far we're behind. And, and I don't think we're doing well. But I, I get consistently 100 down, 20 up. And, oh, you know, but dear. like, But in Sing- is it Singapore where everyone's like, oh, Singapore, it's like, you know, one gig down, 100 up for everybody or something. It's like crazy good. Uh, well, but definitely South Korea. I okay. mean, Singapore's, Singapore's tiny. I mean, you know, relatively tiny. Uh, mm-hmm. And so everything everything's fast there. Um, it's, it's the future, man. The future. Uh, yeah, and I'll I'll be back two weeks. All right. <laughs> last week. Um, well, speaking of that, yeah. where else are you going to be? I think it looks like you've got some events coming up here that we need to know about. I know you want to talk about ChefCon. Where's that going to be? Uh, yeah, yeah. So ChefConf is uh, Chicago, May twenty second through the twenty fifth. Um, I think there's still early bird tickets available, uh, so you can get a ticket and workshops. And I uh, actually lowered the price this year. I think Chicago was uh, a little cheaper than Austin. And, you know, trying to, to give you a lot more um, value for your uh, conference dollar. So for less than a thousand bucks, you can get uh, a workshop and certification exams and, you know, the whole conference pass and, and see all the good stuff. And it's going to be some big announcements. I'm excited. All I'll right. be there. Well, you can yeah. also uh, find no SSH JJ. So he's working the information booth. Uh, whatever. So I want everyone to go ask him how to become an Eagle Scout. Ask him about that. <laughs> Tell him your, his friends at Software Defined Talk. Uh, and then, uh, and then the other thing, you know, this is uh, when I attended Chef Conf, like uh, really good DJ. Like real, uh, the guy that does. I don't know if he's going to be back this year, but the guy that was like on stage. Probably. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah. Like just good, good music. Like it's. Like he's that, a professional. It's different. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's. I guess it is. It's, but it's professional. Like. He, he just does a good crossover. Been to a lot of conferences, heard a lot of yeah. different music stuff. We won't uh, reiterate about the AWS uh, reinvent. I mean, I don't know what happened there. So that just went off the rails with the singing. So this this takes it in a good direction. <laughs> this is like a good. Uh, it, it keeps the room, uh, I think, alive during during well, the various so, conferences. So so it's uh, the the DJ is uh, Derek Mazone. He's a uh, he's got a show on KEXP, which is like the Seattle NPR you know, uh, station. And so he actually has like a show where he, you know, interviews people, mixes music. Um, and then he does like live shows, but he's also like a conference organizer or yeah, as a sidekick. Um, so, you know, really, uh, really nice guy. Um, and just, you know, great, uh, great, you know, great guy to talk to and hang out with and, uh, you know, into all kinds of music. And we've had him for, probably like three or four chef comps and, and community summits. And, you know, it's just like, you know, friend of the chef Seattle people. So, you know, I'm, I expect he'll be there again. All right. We'll check him out. We'll have to find some links to his stuff. So if you're not there, <laughs> you can hear it. And it looks like you, where else are you going? You going to, what is it? Jakarta? Where is that? Jakarta. How yeah. Even, how do you even get there? Uh, so, um, well, there's a direct from Sydney. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's not a direct from Brisbane. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, Jakarta is the uh, capital of Indonesia, you know, the fourth most populous country on the planet. Um, and so it's the first DevOps days. Um, I, they're, they're still um, doing CFP, and, and, uh, but I'm going to be speaking. Uh, we'll have more on that soon. And uh, Chef will be there. And uh, it's April 26th and 27th. So that, that's going to be cool. I've never been to Jakarta. I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, talk about it some more on an upcoming show, probably. All right. I like it. And then Kote wants everyone to know, looks like he's going to be in London at the Continuous Lifecycle Show. It's on uh, May 15th to the 18th. So uh, if you're there, 
go find him. And then I want you to know that I'm going to be, I guess I'm going to be the sole representative this year. Although maybe Cote will come down one day. I'm going to South by Southwest. I will be there representing uh, everything that I can. So if you find me, I'll have some shirts. I'll have the Software Defined Talk shirt on. So if you see me and you want a uh, sticker, let me know. That would be fantastic. I would love to meet some listeners there. Um, If you're going to be uh, at the show, you can also drop me a line in our Slack channel, and we could probably meet up, get a beer, and you can tell us how great the podcast is. We don't really want any negative feedback, so uh, just keep, <laughs> just, just yeah. keep that to uh, Say, Save your negative feedback yeah. for all things considered. Yeah, yeah, that's a different, <laughs> different. We don't really want to hear anything negative. Uh, but yeah, if you are a super fan and you, uh, you want to get a T-shirt, we have some T-shirts still on sale. So if you put in the, S, uh, the discount code SDT... FSG, you get 20% off. Um, you can see, if you look at some past episodes, you can see Matt Ray wearing a blue one. He looks fantastic. And uh, somewhere <laughs> in the, uh, I guess, Australian Outback? I don't know. It's somewhere in That Australia. was New Zealand. Yeah. New Zealand. Close enough. Yeah. It's all the same. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> send you off, cannot say that. That's right. Send all your, uh, your comments about that to Matt Ray in the Slack channel. Uh, but, I'll be there next week in New Zealand. Uh, Wellington on Monday, uh, Auckland on Tuesday if you need stickers. Okay, yeah, so find Matt Ray. And then uh, (laughs) if if you haven't had enough of us, you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And you can do all of this by going to www.softwaredefinedtalk.com. And also just one more more, uh, quick thank you. Thanks to Datadog. Sign up for them, and you get a free T-shirt if you make a dashboard. So lots – I mean we can keep you dressed. We can uh, put stuff on your laptop. And uh, we can get maybe you at, even at entertain you. <laughs> maybe entertain you. I don't want to uh, to go uh, too far out on a limb. But uh, Matt, with yeah. that, give us uh, your recommendation this week. Uh, so, so now that Cote is not here, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can I can recommend more books by Greg Egan. Um, okay. <laughs> Um, is this so, like we're like so, a toaster's a human being or something? Is yeah, it, is it it's, it's more of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if there were sentient uh, carpets in this one, but uh, Oceanic is a collection of short stories and novellas or whatever. I don't know whether the line draws um, by by Greg again, who uh, he's like a hard sci-fi futurist kind of guy. So everything is. It, it's a lot of like post singularity sci-fi stuff. So if if you're into that stuff, uh, I definitely um, recommend it. You know, nice thing about short stories is you know if you don't like it, well, it's short and uh, you know move on to the next one. But there are a couple that you know have stuck with me and and you know uh, rattle around inside my head for a while, which is you know to me that's a sign of a good book. All right, good Oceanic. All right, we'll have to see if Cote will. Uh reading that one and then uh, give his review on a future episode. Uh, all right. Well, my recommendation this week, I read, uh, and again, by reading, I mean I listened to, uh, the latest book out from about Snapchat. It's uh, titled uh, How to Turn Down a Billion Dollars, The Snapchat Story. And uh, I thought – so the reason I wanted to read this is like, of course, I have Snapchat, but I have never really had a group of friends that were like into it. So it's sort of anti – it's like the reverse of a network effect. Like if you don't really have anyone using it that you're kind of you know a, an active community, I don't think you can really experience Snapchat. So I kind of read this just to kind of like get a perspective on it. And there's a couple things that left me with. Like one, you know, the the narrative that they kind of – 
the author talks about is like a lot of people think Snapchat was just about basically sexting. And, you know, his mm-hmm. point that he made in there was um, – or the point that he felt like people were missing about it. Um, and again, I should also say the book is, is written in very much like Chaos Monkeys or um, the Everything Store by Amazon or you know, Hatching Twitter, like sort of a, 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 an author going through doing a bunch of interviews and kind of giving, you know, kind of a chronological take on what happened. So it's fun. You know, if you like that kind of stuff, you'll like it. So, but it, the thing that he kind of says or that, that people didn't understand about Snapchat or the vision was like having some notion of like a, a private identity or an identity that didn't have to last forever. And I thought that's like an interesting concept as I thought more about it, about the idea of like being online and not necessarily keeping everything you say um, forever. And definitely I think mm. as you know, we are a little bit older, so we didn't come up necessarily with the internet. We kind of got it afterwards and kind of like with a whole group of kids coming up through it that, that there was a real sense of, you know, a need for that. And so that part was interesting and also kind of like getting, they touch on like this vision of like replacing TV. So I don't know. That's a sort of an interesting way to think about it. I don't know necessarily it's going to come true, but I thought it was an interesting book. I I like understanding the history and I, there's several things they talk about with Mark Zuckerberg, like making the initial offer was 60 million they turned him down and then he offered like a billion dollars. But they also said when they gave him the offer, they also showed the face. He showed him the Facebook app that was going to compete with them. It's called Pope. Oh, wow. it, didn't, it didn't do so well, but then Instagram came out and, and they talk a lot about the copying. So all of that, though. But then in preparation for this recommendation, I found out some other breaking news that Kylie <laughs> Jenner of uh, the Kardashian fame. Right. She says uh, Snapchat is dead. Yeah, because she's not using it anymore, and I guess she was like one of their biggest users. So the stock at uh, last look was like off, uh, I think down several percentage points. Like wow. somehow it was like a billion dollars. So they lost a billion dollars. <laughs> I don't know. You know, is it true? Kylie said this. It drove it one way or the other. But I will take that. And then the guy that sits next to me at work, who's a millennial, he's like, "Yeah, I, no one uses this anymore after the redesign." So, so I feel like oh. I just may have. It's possible, Matt Ray. We completely missed out on this. Like we never really even got to use it. It became really popular and is going to go away before oh. I even figure out like what I should do with it. But Snapchat died before I got it installed. I know. <laughs> no, so we'll see. Uh, but it's good today. All right. Well, I think that's it. Uh, we we appreciate everyone listening. Cote uh, will be back next week, and until then, we'll see you later. Bye bye. All right. You think it worked?